Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. One morning in late April, I was greeted by tiny, fluffy ducklings when I arrived at the inpatient hospice where I am a chaplain. Our hospice unit is built around a secluded green courtyard, so it made sense that a mother duck had chosen that safely enclosed spot in which to guard and hatch her babies. At the time, we had recently started admitting COVID-positive patients to our facility. We were struggling with whether to allow visitors, wanting to mitigate risk, and also not wanting patients to die apart from their families. How could we keep ourselves and our patients safe without compounding the trauma of loss with separation at the end of their life. And so, in the midst of weighing difficult value choices and managing our own anxiety, small feathery beings greeted us every morning. And I do mean every morning. There was no way to get out of the courtyard except by flight. So Mama Duck was now trapped in our courtyard with eight flightless babies. We were reluctant to usher wild ducklings through the building to reach the wider world, so we had to wait for them to fledge. Our director bought a baby pool and duck food, and the ducklings spent their days splashing in their inflatable pool under the watchful eye of their mother. We were all charmed. The patients and their loved ones, able to see the avian family from their rooms, watched with delight. As the days passed, they grew bigger, still waddling after their mother and in spending increasingly warm afternoons in their little duckling spa. It wasn't just that they were cute and that we enjoyed providing sanctuary for such fragile beings. The ducklings gave us moments throughout the day when we were not healthcare providers in a pandemic. They let us focus on both instead of the death we were facing. They filled us with awe just by daring to exist with such wild, ordinary, cute abandon. They were like winged meditations just outside our windows. But the mama duck felt no such awe. She started waiting by the doors of the courtyard, hoping to lead her ducklings out. As the days grew hotter, she became more upset that she and her children were stuck. She had kept her baby safe, but at the cost of being trapped. As the weeks wore on, our distress grew with hers. The safe, anxious, isolated ducks were an all too obvious mirror for our own experience. How long would this last? How do we protect each other? How do we survive? Once the ducklings were able to fly away, I found myself still looking out in the courtyard in the mornings, surprised not to find their fluffy little wings waiting for me. Unlike the ducklings, our escape from isolation, fear, and grief of the pandemic will not be so soon or concrete. As we navigate the long, messy road to safety and freedom, it is easy to feel like the seriousness of the pandemic means we should remain hyper-focused and respectfully somber. But our duckling guests taught me to take my eyes off that road sometimes. They showed me the necessity of making space for moments of peace and delight within our larger struggles, to be open to the ordinary wonder and surprising companions that waddle across our paths.
The first YouTube live stream from Arlington Street Church didn't happen at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic 18 months ago. It happened a few years before that, on February 12, 2017. That was the snowy Sunday afternoon when leaders from Black Lives Matter, Boston, spoke to a full house here in the sanctuary in spite of the blizzard that was bearing down on Boston that day. The story of that day actually starts a few months before with the unexpected and shocking results of the 2016 presidential election. In the weeks after the election, activists across the country planned for a protest on the day after the inauguration. This was, of course, the Women's March. And here in Boston, the march passed right in front of Arlington Street Church on its way to the Common. In the weeks leading up to the march, a call was put out for volunteers to assist in opening our doors in a gesture of hospitality to other Unitarian Universalist congregations in the greater Boston area. About 50 volunteers signed up and were trained in teams who served various roles. People were eager to do something, anything, to help. The day of the march was sunny but cold, and our volunteers provided radical hospitality to hundreds of visitors that day by providing them a convenient meeting place, offering them warm cider and hot chocolate, and a place to rest and gather themselves. The bells rang down on the marchers throughout that memorable afternoon. Eve Loria is a member here at Arlington Street Church and has agreed to let me share with you her role in what happened next. Sometime in late January, she received an email from a group known as Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. The email stated that Black Lives Matter leaders in Boston were looking for venues where they could speak during Black History Month. Eve thought this might be a good event to hold at Arlington Street Church in the sanctuary some Sunday afternoon after service. The group of volunteers who had helped at the Women's March were asked if they would be interested in serving again in their various teams. Reverend Kim and other leaders agreed it sounded like a great idea. Eve posted on Facebook an event which she hoped her friends and colleagues would see and perhaps they would come and hear the Black Lives Matter speakers. Then something unexpected happened. Eve's post went viral. There were over 17,000 people who indicated they were interested in attending the Black Lives Matter event and over 2,000 who said they were definitely gonna be there. Now the talk was scheduled to be held here in the sanctuary, which has a maximum capacity of 800. And even that number seems almost unrealistic without a substantial standing room only approach in the balconies. Now it would have been easy for Eve and others to allow themselves to fall into the grip of fear, uncertainty, doubt, and worry. What were they gonna do with so many people? And what was gonna happen when good intentioned people were turned away at the doors? Would Boston police have to be involved to manage the crowds? That can't be a good idea. Those thoughts might have occurred, but they were fleeting. And even others got creative. They knew that Sunday sermons were being recorded and posted to YouTube since the previous fall. I wonder if we can figure out how to share the talk live on YouTube. I wonder if people would watch. You know how that story ends. They did figure it out. And by the time the snow started to fall that Sunday afternoon, over 2,000 were watching from the comfort of their homes. The in-person attendance was actually a bit lower than expected, partly due to the forecasted blizzard, which ended up leaving only five inches of fresh snow in Boston, mostly overnight into that Monday morning. But the team had accomplished what would have seemed impossible only a few months earlier. Indeed, 
That might have been the first technical innovation in the sanctuary since electric lights were installed in 1911 or amplified sound some decades later. I'd like to think that everyone who participated that day was changed in some way. Maybe Eve, realizing the amazing ripple effect that can result by replying to just one email. Maybe the young family who raised their hands to help be ushers to our many visitors. Or maybe someone in the audience hearing the leaders explain that Black Lives Matter is queer and trans affirming. And that when white people support the Black Lives Matter movement, it isn't an act of charity, but can actually be an act that leads to self-liberation. There's no real way to tell the impact that day had on all those individuals, but I know for sure that there was an impact on our congregation. We were faced with a set of challenges and leaned into each challenge to figure it out. And we did. I remember telling one of the team's leaders that we had built capacity within the congregation that we didn't have before. We now knew how to do live streams. With four and a half years of perspective on the events of that fall and winter, the thing that strikes me the most is that we didn't set out to do a series of Black Lives Matter talks that literally thousands in Boston were able to experience. There was just a natural unfolding of ch challenges, some unexpected, and at each moment there were individuals just doing the next right thing. They show us how staying engaged can be a helpful way to hang on to hope in the face of disappointment. The expertise built during that time is what served us well in March of last year. There was still enough residual knowledge to help us move quickly, if not capably, to online services. You were patient with those of us figuring things out as we eventually moved to Zoom. And it's, it's a little hard to believe, but today is the 78th live stream of the pandemic. And there have been many other ways our community has changed during the past 18 months that no one would have predicted when we went into lockdown on March 10th, 2020. This past spring, we named our pledge program Closer Than Ever. And that feeling might be one of the biggest surprises of the pandemic. This has happened in a thousand little ways. Friendships have formed and deepened in the various Zoom gatherings, such as poetry to go on, tea with the ministers, writing groups, and the Buddhist meditation group. So many have helped in any way they can, from donating iPads, computers, and iPhones, or providing assistance as, many, as so many learned and found their way to our online meetings. Like that time back in 2017, so many hands have gone up to help in some way. The depth of our bench has increased during the past 18 months, and that only makes our community stronger. We're stronger too for the neighbors who share our building. Friday Night Supper program has thrived during the past 18 months. They never missed a Friday serving guests delicious warm meals. A to-go model helped keep their staff, volunteers, and guests safe during the worst parts of the pandemic. The kitchen will be getting a new stove thanks to our friends at Anchor Church, which they are providing as a donation to Friday Night Supper program. And our dear friends at Agora are making plans for a variety of cultural events that help give this corner of the Back Bay a lively feel on more than just Sunday mornings. And of course, we've had people join our Sunday morning services from Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Florida, Tennessee, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Oklahoma, Colorado, 
and even an occasional early riser or two from California. This is the end of the summer sermons. A quick look back at the previous 11 weeks really shows what an amazing summer we've had. We had three sermons on the lessons of grief and loss from the deaths of a sibling, a spouse, and a newborn child. We learned lessons from a service dog and from Broadway musicals. We heard quotes from Rumi, Parker Palmer, Amanda Gorman, Representative John Lewis, Nelson Mandela, Maya Angelou, Mr. Rogers, Samuel Beckett, Mary Oliver, twice, Leonard Cohen, Brene Brown, Professor Cornell West, Vaclav Havel, and Oscar Hammerstein, Stephen Schwartz, and Stephen Sondheim. We were reminded of the power that comes from connecting with our breath and given a breathing meditation to cultivate compassion. We were encouraged to find hope through service and helping one another, lifting up the better angels among us who perform acts of kindness. I know that some of our speakers have observed the changes in our community as they described how vulnerability can be a powerful tool for making connections and having the courage to live our lives authentically with a fierce kindness is exactly what these times call for. More than one speaker described the presence that we can offer each other. The presence that comes from showing up and from deep listening without judgment. Sitting with each other in moments of pain and discomfort. That type of witness can be an incredible act of love to help someone know they are not alone and that they have within them everything they need to get through it. We don't need to fix them or rescue them. We just need to be there with them, with our whole selves. We were challenged to give this sort of love to those we might consider enemies. We were also challenged to use this gift of life to be a part of an interconnected ecosystem of justice making. Love and service for justice and peace. Throughout the summer, we were reminded of the restorative magic that can be found in poems, music, all that beautiful music, long walks, rest, and even giving high fives to birch trees. I am very grateful for all the lessons that our summer speakers provided. If you're a first time visitor here today, all of those sermons are on our YouTube channel and can be viewed at any time. I'm also very mindful and aware that we're ending summer in a place that's very different than we expected to be when summer started. The emergence of the Delta variant has caused another wave of new COVID-19 cases in Massachusetts. I'm gonna to turn to two ministers to help offer some words of guidance and comfort as we prepare to start a new church year. The first is Reverend Sunshine Jeremiah Wolf, who is Congregational Field Staff for the Central East Region of the Unitarian Universalist Association. Back in March of this year, Reverend Wolf recorded a 10-minute video about trauma response and COVID. The UUA has this video on their website as part of a resource guide on a, on a multi-platform future. Reverend Wolf offers a perspective through a trauma lens. These are the words of Reverend Wolf. This has been a tough time. It's taken more energy to do everything. Have you felt that sense that it takes more energy to even do the things that felt simple or basic before? Your congregations are going to want you to try and do things the way they used to be done. 
or they're gonna want you to do the perfect multi-platform experience that keeps all the new people who came during COVID, all the folks who are not necessarily able to come to the building, and everybody in person, and have it all be perfect and good. And all of that language is white supremacy culture language. But it is also language that's about how we try to keep control when we are feeling like we're unraveling. Coming out of this process, your folks are gonna feel like they're unraveling a little bit. Because when you start to come out of a traumatic experience, you start to have the space to feel and process what's happened before. Some folks are gonna be irrational. You're probably gonna see more conflicts than you're used to. Some folks may be more angry or quick to tears or even shut down. A simple conversation may lead to somebody disappearing for a couple months. All these are normal things. And so you wanna be able to prepare your community for what it means to care for your entire community as it is recovering from a traumatic experience. And so you wanna do the things that help care for people, allow them to enter slowly and to resist that urgency that may come as a result of wanting to get back to things as normal. It's really common for folks after a traumatic experience to not wanna talk about it anymore. Even a slight mention of COVID might get some folks a little reactive. Intellectually, I know the entire planet is dealing with COVID-19, but there's something deeply comforting in having a Unitarian Universalist minister describe things in this way. It's also reassuring to know we have resources available to us. I'd also like to share with you a blog post from a United Methodist minister named Jenny Smith. Pastor Smith is what we would call an interim minister for her denomination. She wrote this blog post earlier this summer, just as the Delta variant was emerging. Her brother runs marathons, and she uses that as a metaphor for her experience during COVID. We just ran a marathon. We closed our doors to in-person worship. We figured out online worship, maybe, kind of. We tried to continue as many ministries as we could sustain. We dreamed up new ones. We wondered if giving would continue. We ached with isolation. We spoke hope and grace and possibility. We agonized over the safest ways to return to in-person gatherings. We smiled on camera as if we could stir our hearts to life with our own pleading. We received grace and stunning kindness from people in our communities. Then we opened our doors to in-person worship again. We crossed the finish line. We made it. We did a hard thing. Then... Instead of collapsing at the finish line in a heap, instead of drinking water, instead of resting our aching bodies, something else happened. An official looking race organizer slapped another number on our back and pushed us toward another starting line that mysteriously appeared. <laughs> Wait, what? A second marathon right now? White supremacy pushes and coerces and manipulates into productivity and results. Consumerism causes people to demand their preferences and tired pastors oblige. Capitalism relies on resisting rest and driving our bodies for the bottom line. Those forces celebrate when we ignore what our souls whisper. I don't have a magic next step, but I, knew no, but I do know this. As the gears come to life in our faith communities, 
we have the opportunity to tell the truth, to slow down the pace, and question everything as we enter the new normal. Yes, our second marathon has begun, ready or not. Problem is, our bodies are still recovering from the first marathon. Maybe the answer is to stop running the second race. What if we looked at each other and gently nodded, slowed our forced jog, and started walking together? What if we walked our second marathon? Side by side, no racing, no competing with anything or anyone, resting when it's time to rest, saying yes to a new idea when it glistens with possibility, saying no when something feels too heavy, asking new questions in places we assumed the old answer, giving others permission to rest because we choose rest, questioning the speed at which we live and move, taking a nap, breathing deeply of God's grace and love and restoration. Maybe this is how we disrupt the deeply ingrained oppressive realities of our world. We choose to walk together. Here's to the second marathon. I'm with you, friends. I'll be over in the slow walkers crew that laughs and takes a lot of breaks. Want to join me? I imagine love will surprise us again. My beloved spiritual companions, for our closing today, I'm going to borrow from Rev. Erica's sermon titled, Just Enough. May we have just enough love to care about people and issues beyond ourselves. Just enough kindness to do the next right thing. Just enough hope to keep going even when we have every reason to be afraid. Let's take a moment together to take a deep breath in and out slowly. Let yourself relax. We made it to September 2021. That is just enough to be miraculous. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart and namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Our benediction is from Danielle de Bona. It is a good day. Breathe, take a breath and feel the weight of the world lift from your body. Remember, remember that you survived, no thrived. Find your deep soul and hold it in your hands and thank it. Thank that soul for its protection and power. We have survived. We are not the same, yet we have survived, battered and bruised. It is a good day. Breathe, take a breath, and feel the weight of the world lift from your body. Let your heart be filled with peace. Let each of us, in our own way, offer thanks to that which is most holy for its protection and love. Let us keep the faith, beloveds, and carry it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts and all your love. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be.
go. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. For your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. Your divine, my divine. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.